All right, we are back. This is episode 138. This is the second half with Coach Arnie. And we are going to have the second half of Love Yourself Like Your Life Depends On It by Kamal Ravikant. It's a beautiful little book that I am sharing with you. Uh, It was written or published in 2012 by Kamal Ravikant. Look him up. He's on Twitter. Just do a search on Kamal. He's a wonderful um, individual with a loving spirit, and he wrote a great book. So I'm going to continue where I was um, in episode 137. So here we go. Love and memory. Memory is not set in stone. Any neuroscientist will tell you that. The more you remember something, especially if it's emotionally charged, the more you will reinforce the pathways connecting the neurons. Simply put, the more you think about it, the more you feel it, the stronger the memory. Here's the interesting part. It's not just the act of recall that strengthens a memory. Another factor shapes and even changes it. The state of mind you are in when remembering something. The implications of this are transformative. Take a random experience, a a relationship that ended years ago. Consciously recall it when you're miserable. You'll naturally find yourself focusing on the negative parts and those will grow stronger in memory. Conversely, same exact experience, but recall when you were happy. Notice the change? It's still the same experience. It's still your mind. But the filter is different, and the filter shifts the focus, which subtly, subtly changes the memory. More importantly, it changes how the memory makes you feel, the power it has over you. There's a solution here, a powerful one. If a painful memory arises, don't fight it or try to push it away. You're in quicksand. Struggle reinforces pain. Instead, go to love. Love for yourself. Feel it. If you have to fake it, fine. It'll become real eventually. Feel the love for yourself as the memory ebbs and flows. That will take the power away. And even more importantly, it will shift the wiring of the memory. Do it again and again. Love, rewire. Love, rewire. It's your mind. You can do whatever you want. Change. It's happening. Yes, really happening. I nod slowly, grin. Unbelievable, she says. Unbelievable. Through the window, the Sierras below, mountains of earthly brown, daybreak ahead, a clear morning. This high up, no human could survive, yet we hurtle forward at hundreds of knots in an aluminum tube, comfy in our chairs, sipping our sodas. Are you scared? She rests her hand gently on my arm, nervous. I look out for a moment, and the land below already flattering, flattening. Then to her, nope, I don't know what you can do. I don't know how you can do that. Me, I'm a bucket of nerves. But this magic, I say, why be nervous? That's not doing any good. I know that, she says. I do, really. But tell, but tell that to my nerves. I think I say, I think that I'm starting to accept the magic, that life can be this way, the fantastic experiences, things I could, couldn't imagine within my reach are possible, are happening, will happen. That's what it is. She smiles, squeezes my arm, then leans into my shoulder. She closes her eyes. 
I reached down and kissed her head softly, smelling her hair, then returned to the window. Patchwork of browns and greens below. How fast the land, the lands change. How fast everything changes. Light switches. Richard Bandler, co-founder of NLP, got known, got known early in his career as someone who could cure schizophrenics within hours. He started getting calls called by doctors and patients, families to go to mental institutions, work with the worst cases, the ones everyone had given up on. One of his favorite stories is about an executive who started hallucinating snakes. No one could convince him otherwise. He was committed, received treatment, no luck. So he was strapped to his bed. Not very empowering when you believe snakes are crawling all over you. In the mental hospital, crawling all over you in the mental hospital and chalked off as one of the incurable ones. By that, by the time Bandler met him, he was in bad shape. To figure out what to do, Bandler went for a walk in town. He needed to snap this guy back to reality. He passed a pet store and noticed a barrel full of rubber snakes on the curb. He went inside, asked the man behind the counter if he could rent the entire barrel for a few hours. They're there for sale, the man said. I don't rent the whole barrel. I need them, Bandler said. All, but only for a few hours. Why? I'm going to cure schizophrenia, Bandler said. Cool, the man said. Bandler chalks it up to the fact that since the store owner wasn't a doctor, his mind was open to cures that were out of the norm. Turns out he had a few well-trained snakes, two cobras, one giant python that loved wrapping himself around humans. Perfect. The store owner and Bandler returned to the mental hospital. Bags full of rubber snakes and real ones went to the shower, went to the shower where the patient bathed and covered the place with them. The live cobras that he put close, he put extra close to where the patient would be. The python right above where he positioned the wheelchair. Finished, he surveyed his work. It reminded him of the scene from Raiders of the Lost Ark where Indiana Jones descends into a chamber full of withering snakes, enough to scare anyone, let alone a person with heightened snake phobia. Keep in mind, Bandler once cured a guy who thought he was Jesus by bringing in three muscular football players dressed as Roman centurions and wood for a life-size cross into his hospital room. Then he proceeded to nail the cross together, pausing occasionally to measure the guy as the centurions held him down. By the time they were ready for the crucifixion, the man was convinced he wasn't Jesus. But after the drama had passed, the cure stuck. The snake owner and doctor stood behind the, behind the one uh, way glass to the shower. Bandler brought the man in, strapped tight in his wheelchair. The moment the man saw the snakes, he started screaming, Snakes! It was terrible. It was a terrible sound, Bandler says, from the very depths of the man carrying throughout the hospital, Snakes! But he positioned the man right where he could see the cobras in front and the python dangling above. Then he left and shut the door behind him. The man screamed and screamed. Bandler waited. Finally, he went in. The man saw him, was about to scream, but Bandler cut him off. Snakes, snakes. Yes, I know, Bandler said. Tell me, 
which ones are real and which ones aren't, and I'll wheel you out. Otherwise, I'm leaving you here. Then he turned to go. Rubber snakes, the man said, motioning to the ground with his head. Hallucinated snakes, he mentioned around, then eyes up at the python dangling a, a few feet above, dropping closer. Real snake! This caught Bandler off guard. The man, when put to the test, was not only lucid enough to distinguish real from hallucinated, he could even tell which ones were rubber. Something even Bandler had a hard time telling because given how realistic they were. He wheeled the man out and asked him how he could tell hallucinated versus real. Easy, the man said. Hallucinated snakes are see-through. The man had known all along reality was solid. Hallucinations were uh, see-through. But his fear was so intense, he'd lost touch with reality. Bandler taught the man to focus on the difference between reality and hallucinated see-through snakes, and the man was cured. He still saw hallucinated snakes occasionally, but knew that they were not real. The power they had over him were gone. Frightening fear doesn't work. It just drags us in closer. One has to focus on what is real, on the truth. When in darkness, don't fight it. You can't win. Just find the nearest switch. Turn on the light. James Altrisher, in one of his best blog posts, talks about how he stops negative thoughts to him. He tells himself, it's a switch. A breaker of sorts shifts the pattern of fear. In the last book of the Hunger Games tr- trilogy, one of the main characters has been tortured by the Capitol. His memories altered so that he can't distinguish between actual and implanted memories. His friends come up with a simple exercise. They tell him memories they know to be true, then ask, Real or not real? Slowly, he learns to distinguish real from not real. Real until his mind adapts and he realizes that not real memories have certain a certain shininess to them. And when in doubt, he returns to the practice. Real or not real? Fear, when used properly, is a useful tool. It serves as well... It serves as well when near a blazing inferno or standing at the edge of a cliff. But inside of us, excuse me, but outside of us, it's hijacked the mind to the point where it's difficult to distinguish the mind and our thoughts from fear itself. So these tools, like light switches, exist. When fear arises, remember that is a hallucinated snake or that's not useful, or that's not real. All three work. There's many more. Ones we could come up with ourselves, if we wish. As long as it works, it's valid. Key is this. When in darkness, have a light switch you've chosen standing by. For example, in writing this book, fear says I'm risking what people will think of me. Doesn't matter. My role is to recognize it for what it is hallucinated snake, not useful, not real, and continue on. Coasting. 
As I write this, I'm probably the lowest I've been in a while. Things are just so. Not as bad as they were when I first started, but life's not zinging. The thing is, when life just works for a while, you get used to it, you get used to it and you think it'll just stay that way. Recency bias. When things suck, when you're deep in it, it seems like they will suck forever. You you can't imagine a way out. When things are great, you live as if it'll get if it, it it'll always last. So I ask myself, if I was to look deeper, when I am down, why isn't my life an expression of well, awesomeness? Once you've experienced it and you know how it's possible, then you should be doing everything in your power to keep it that way. It's just too good. The answer, I'm lazy. When I was sick, I focused on my mind with a desperate intensity. But as life got good, then great, I started to coast. Let the mind drift to its natural devices. Went days, then weeks without meditating. Loving myself became something I assumed, but didn't work towards. It's, it's, I'm now at the point that when I'm when I repeat the loop, I love myself, it feels strange. I find myself searching for a less powerful word, one that feels right. But if love isn't right, nothing else will be. The irony is that I'm the one who shared this truth with friends. Love yourself, I told them. See what it did for me. It works. It really works. All true. But when something... But when... But who wants to take financial advice from a man barely scraping by? So I asked myself the question. If I love myself truly and deeply, what would I do? I love these questions. There is only there is no threat, no right or wrong answer, only an invitation to my truth in this present moment. The answer is simple. I'd commit to the practice. And I would also share the next thing I've learned, which is don't let yourself coast when things are going great. It, it says to wish for health. And when you, you are sick, when you're doing well, you need just as much vigilance. Honestly, it scares me a little. Coming from the dumps when life works, it's great. But if life is working and you and you do the practice, how high can life go? Can I handle it? Heck, do I even deserve it? It's a nice trick the monkey mind plays. So I return to questions. If I love myself truly and deeply, what would I do? The answer comes easy. I'd fly. Fly as high as possible, as I possibly can. Then I'd fly even higher. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'm going to go meditate. Thought. If if we are made of atoms and molecules, and they in turn from smaller particles, which are empty space and energy, then what are we? Are we thoughts? Are we our thoughts? Ever catch your mind in a mental loop replaying some old story, an old hurt, the same pattern? Who are you? The thought of the observer of thought. If you're 
the observer, then what is the thought? If you are a thought observer on another thought, perhaps we've just we've just biochemical storm. We we are just biochemical storms within the synaptic connections in a brain that involved over a million years, or. Maybe there is an observer, a deeper self. No proof either way. In fine, I'm fine with not knowing. I enjoy thinking about it. But mainly uh, to remind myself that ultimately everything is theory. I care about what works, what creates magic in my life. This I know. The mind left to itself repeats the same stories, the same loop. Mostly... The ones that, um, mostly ones that don't deserve, that don't serve us. Excuse me. So what's practical? What's transformative? Is not consciously. It is to consciously choose a thought, then practice it. Oh, again and again with emotion, with feeling, with acceptance. Lay down the synaptic pathway until the mind starts playing it automatically. Do this with the human, with enough human intensity over time, and the mind will have no choice. That's how it operates. Where do you think your original loops came from? The goal, if there is one, is to practice until the thought you choose, you chose, becomes the primary loop, until it becomes the filter through which you view life. Then practice some more. Sounds like work, perhaps. But the nature of mind is thought. Choose one that transforms you, makes your life zing. The one I found, I love myself, is the most powerful one I know. You might discover another regardless. Please do it. It is worth it. Magic. I finish at the gym, walk outside and sit on the wall by the driveway. Indian summer evening in San Francisco. Breezy, cool, fog about above downtown. Delicious. I love my life. I find myself thinking, I love my life. I love my life. I love my life. The thought flows as naturally as the wind. I watch the skyline. People ask why I let my long hair fall in front of my eyes. It's for moments like these. When I watch the world through wisp of silver, I love my life. I love my life. Clouds move above. The thoughts shift. I love myself. I, I love myself. I love myself. I love myself. I'm smiling then grinning. All I am, my hopes, dreams, desires, faults, strengths, everything. I love myself. If if you can reach this point, even if it's, even if it's for a brief moment, it will transform you. I promise you that. Um, the key, at least for me, has been to let go. Let go of the ego. Let go of the attachment. Let to let go of what. To let go of what I think I should be, who others think I should be, and as I do that, the real world. There is something. There is there is strength. Excuse me. The real world. There is strength. In this vulnerability um, that cannot be described, only experienced. Am I this way 
each moment? No, but I sure as heck am working on it. Thousands of years ago, a Roman poet wrote, I am a human being, therefore nothing human is foreign to me. I believe it is to be true. So if this is possible for one human, it is possible for anyone. This path, the path might be different, but the destruction same. Key is being open to loving ourselves. Once we do that, life casually takes care of the next steps. Remain open to that one possibility and you'll experience the beauty of watching the world renowned world around you dance its amazing dance while inside. You fully accept this marvelous, amazing human being you are. The feeling is, for lack of a better word, magic. Surrender. I once asked a monk how he found peace. I say, yes, he'd say, he, he'd said. To all that happens, I say yes. Before I got sick, the last thing my Western mind wanted to say was yes. I was obsessed with my business, with visions of selling it, making enough money to never work again. You could argue that obsession fuels innovation in our society. True, perhaps, but quite often behind obsession is fear. And there was plenty of fear, fear of what people would think, fear of letting employees and innovators down, fear of failing and what that would mean about me. I used the fear I I used the fear as energy driving the force pushing to achieve pushing to succeed paying no attention to my body to the present and I paid the price. Often the price for not being present is pain. Now I understand what the monk meant. There is a surrender to what is, to the moment. Whenever I noticed fear in my mind, instead of pushing it aside or using it to as fuel, I say to myself, it's okay. A gentle yes to myself, to the moment, to what the mind is asking. Often that is enough to deflate the fear. From there, I... I shift to the truth of loving myself. Knowing this, I realized I, that I could have built a great company, that I could still could have built a great company, had a beautiful relationship, managed my health. And I reached out to my friend before she passed away and told her how much I loved her. I could have done all of this from a place of gentleness, a place of self-love. But I can't erase the past. Only learn from it. It's okay. Applying what I know makes the present and the future a beautiful place to be. Belief. A side effect of loving myself fiercely was that it started to dislodge old patterns, thoughts, and beliefs that I didn't even know existed. Whether having coffee with a friend or reading a book, I would have flashes of insight into my self. 
they were so clear. It was like my life was a deck of cards, de- uh, each with a picture or of a situation I ex- experienced. All falling down at me. Flip, flip, flip. And the only thought was, oh my God, it all makes sense. Here's one example. I've always known that growth is important to me. If I don't feel like I'm growing, I'm drifting, depressed. But what I need, didn't know until the practice of self-love showed me was my belief about growth. Real growth comes through intense, difficult, and challenging situations. Can you, can you see how that could define the path of, your, of my life? It was immediately obvious when it came, where, where it came from. The first time I felt like I, I grew in a way that I was no longer the same. I was far better. U.S. Army Infantry Boot Camp. Was it intense? Yes. Was it difficult? Yes. Was it traveling every day? Was it challenging every day? Was it happy? Joyful? No way. Centuries of military protocol designed it to be miserable. But that's something I've always looked at as a defining experience. One I'm proud of. I went in as an insecure 18-year-old. I came out knowing I could handle anything thrown at me. That was growth. What we believe and that's what we seek. It's the filter we view our lives through. I've certainly thrown myself at intense and difficult situations. All situations where I grew. But at what price? Another example. In building my company, I came across as someone who was driven to succeed. Many told me so. I thought that as well until I loved myself. Then one day I woke up to a spotlight shining my in, in that belief, except the truth was, was, was a slight twist. I was driven not to fail. Huge difference. No wonder my company went the way it did. The, the intense and consistent work to keep moving it forward. One step away from disaster, always something pulling it off, then moving to avert the next disaster, never failing, but never taking off the way I knew it should. The good news is that once the spotlight shines from within yourself, there is no going back. The patterns of the mind that held you back fall away on their own, like like rusty old armor, you don't need it anymore. With each insight, there is freedom, a sense of lightness and growth. Oxygen. I gave the talk at the Renaissance Weekend. One person said to me, you must love others first. I respectfully disagreed. And it's like what they tell you during pre-flight instructions. In case of emergency, if oxygen masks drop from above, put yours on before you help someone else. As I started to love myself, then things inside me shifted. Fear strengthened the ego. Love softens it. I became more open. 
vulnerable. It was natural to be gentle with others, even when they weren't loving towards me. And the times, and at times, it wasn't easy. I had the resources, the loop, the meditation, the question to return to self-love. There is a power in this. Rather than reacting to situations, I found myself choosing how I wanted to be. That, in turn, created better situations and ultimately a far better life. Where I want to be. Lying on my back on a hill, grass slightly tickling my neck. Beautiful sunny day, blue skies, clouds drift above. Each a thought. I, I watch, knowing them from what, for what they are, rather than a, attaching my experience of the present to them. I choose the ones I want to focus on or not focus on. Always my choice. The thoughts come, drifting, twisting, turning in shapes. It is their nature. I pick one for the moment and then let it go, never attached, simply experiencing what I choose all through the filter of love. That's it. And this book could have been a cover, could have been a cover plus one almost blank page with two words in the middle. Love yourself. (laughs) But if I had to pick it up and read it without knowing what I learned that summer, I wouldn't have applied it. At least not in a way that would transform my life. So I shared brief learnings, thoughts, and experiences. I could have filled it out more, but that only serves my ego. Rather, truth is simple. Truth is succinct. I think that instead of reading loads of self-help books, attending various seminars, listening to different preachers, we should just pick one thing, something that feels true for us, and practice it fiercely. Play, place our bet on it, then go all out. That's where the magic happens. When life blows away our expectations, I found what to bet on. It came from a place of anguish, a place of no more, But it doesn't have to be that way. It can come from a friend, a book, a lover. It can come from joy. If something else feels true for you, then do that. I really don't think the details matter. What matters is the practice, the commitment to living your truth. The results are worth it. I wish that for you. And then he wrote a a little page about sharing. I wrote this book from the heart to share something I learned something else had been beautiful and transformative for me honestly I was a little scared to do it putting myself out there like that but friends who applied the practice pushed me to write it if it wasn't for them this book would not exist that is the beauty of learning and then sharing you grow you share the lessons and help others grow Here's the magic. They, in turn, make you grow. It's a natural cycle. I hope you try out what I've shared here. It works. If you would like to share it with others, you can send them the link below. It will list wherever the book is available. It's www.founderzen.com slash book. Founder Zen, Z-E-N. 
Amazon.com slash book. All right. And then um, let me read a little bit about Kamal Ravikant himself, the author, as we just finish up here. I've been fortunate enough to have some amazing experiences in my life. I've trekked to one of the highest base camps in the Himalayas, meditated with Tibetan monks in the Dalai Lama's monastery, um, monastery, earned my U.S. infantry patch, walked 550 miles across Spain, lived in Paris, been the only non-black, non-woman member of the Black Woman's Writers Group, written a novel, held the hands of dying patients, and worked with some of the best people in Silicon Valley. But the most transformative experience has been the simple act of loving myself. You can find me online here, Twitter at Kamal Ravikant, blog founderzen.com. Feel free to email me at k at founderzen.com. I'd be honored if you received this book on Amazon. Thank you. I'd be honored if you reviewed this book on Amazon. He's also got a podcast. I don't have that with me, but just look up Kamal Ravikant. That's K-A-M-A-L-R-A-V-I-K-A-N-T. And there you guys go. That's uh, love yourself like your life depends on it. Hey, you know what? After you listen to it, share it with somebody that you think would listen to it. Share it with somebody that you think needs to hear this message. And um, I tell you what, guys, I appreciate you. Don't forget to follow me on all the different social media. Uh, Real Coach Arnie, TikTok and Twitter. Arnie Fonseca Jr. on um, uh, Facebook and LinkedIn. uh, At, excuse me, Coach Arnie F. on Instagram. Google me, Arnie Fonseca Jr. um, Or you can call or text me at 602-390-9144. Let's just talk. I appreciate everybody. Uh, I hope you enjoy this book. And please share it with others. And... Don't forget to subscribe to the show, The Second Half with Coach Arnie. Would love to have you come by and and um, share the episode again. Give me, a, give me some love and um, share with others. Love you guys.